0: Welcome to the Essay for FAs Asset Allocator podcast, a series that addresses issues of current interest to financial advisors, including ETFs, asset allocation, and the economy. I am your host, Gil Weinrich of Seeking Alpha, and this entire week we'll be talking about how to define and how not to define a quote-unquote best advisor. We'll get to that in a moment, but first, this word on behalf of our sponsor, Invesco. Before talking about Best Advisors, I've got this quick housekeeping note. I prepared this series in advance, knowing I would not be at work, so if any big breaking market news occurs, you will know why I am not addressing it. Now, back to our podcast. Amidst the non-stop noise we hear in financial media and marketing is something that goes under various names such as Barron's Top 1200 Advisors or the Forbes Best Advisors, For those with more specific tastes, the best millennial advisors, the best women advisors, the best advisors in your state, etc., etc. I've looked into this, and it is my firm view that neither Barron's nor Forbes nor any other institution has the capability of determining, let alone ranking, the best financial advisors. The more you look into this process, the less you'll want to eat the sausage. For any listeners out there who happen to be ranked as a top advisor, first, congratulations. And second, understand that nothing I say here does nor can denigrate your individual accomplishments. My purpose is to clarify the reality as I see it, as always with a view toward helping financial advisors maintain the highest standards of their profession. Okay, first, allow me to relate a story of how I got interested in this topic. I was actually knee-deep in best advisor rankings years before Barron's entered the business as editor-in-chief of a magazine that published such rankings. One day, my office phone rang, and on the other end of the line was a woman in Connecticut who asked me if I might help her decide which of two financial advisors she should work with. She explained that she and her husband were about to retire. They felt certain that they would benefit from the support of a financial advisor, but given that their entire life savings was on the line— they didn't want to make a mistake in this decision. They were debating between two advisors in their area that were highly ranked in their state, and the magazine of which I was editor. I was immediately seized with the moral weight of this question. Here it was that I had a role in promulgating the names of these advisors, and there was no way I could personally vouch for either of them. This was a moment of truth, and so I answered her truthfully and unhesitatingly. I said... That when it comes to something as important as who will manage your life savings, you should go about this the same way you would go about hiring for any important task. When you need a good lawyer or doctor or contractor, you don't look in the yellow pages. This happened back when there were still yellow pages. You get a referral from someone you trust who can personally vouch for the person's professional abilities and character. We spent something like a half hour on the phone discussing what the qualities of a good advisor would be, so the referral would be meaningful to her. In other words, we're looking for more than just, my advisor is a nice guy. We'll get to those qualities later in our series, but the immediate problem we had is that there was no way to tell if the ranked best advisors possessed the attributes of a great financial advisor or not. To give you an idea of what I mean, let's take a look at Barron's top 1,200 advisors since they currently maintain the best known rankings and use the exact same kind of data we used at the time of my conversation with this new retiree. I will simply quote from the very top of Barron's Advisor Rankings webpage, Here are America's best financial advisors, organized by state. The rankings are based on data provided by over 4,000 of the nation's most productive advisors. Factors included in the rankings? Assets under management. Revenue produced for the firm. Regulatory record. Quality of practice and philanthropic work. "'Investment performance isn't an explicit component because not all advisors have audited results and because performance figures often are influenced more by clients' risk tolerance than by an advisor's investment-picking abilities.'" Folks, what that intro really tells you is that every piece of ranking data you read afterwards is meaningless. Allow me to translate for you. Barron's is looking at over 4,000 of the most productive advisors. First question. Why only 4,000 when there are 70 times as many advisors in the U.S.? These rankings had their beginning in the wirehouse world, where the names were supplied by the biggest brokerage firms out there, who nominate the firm's favorites. The publication needed the data, right? Well, the firms possess that data. By supplying it, they got to pick their favorite advisors, which it was essentially a reward for. Wait, let me read that to you again. The rankings are based on data provided by over 4,000 of the nation's most productive advisors. Bingo! These rankings, in pre Barron's times, eventually migrated to include RIAs, who largely self-nominate. But the overall values of the large brokerage firms, which like to control whom they favor with rewards, still prevails. In fact... Just like the big brokerage firms offer junkets to their top producers, Barron's maintains a similar invitation-only summit for top advisors. Again, top heavily weighted towards top producers. Now, the big brokerage firms want their advisors to be productive, meaning bringing in assets. It's clear why that Barron's criterion is good for Merrill Lynch. But how does that serve Joe and Jane retiree? I'm certainly not accusing wealthy advisors of being bad ones. I'm simply saying that managing large assets and thus generating large fees could as easily mean you're a gifted salesman as it means you know how to provide the best financial planning services. The data simply don't provide the answer. Barron's top advisor's description continues with, quote, most productive advisors, quote, assets under management, and quote, revenue produced for the firm, items which we've already discussed under the tag of productive. You can see just how emphasized this is now we move on to regulatory record i've read many of these regulatory records over a period of decades and i can assure you that not one of them attests to someone being a best advisor rather these records are either blank or they describe customer complaints and adjudicative proceedings so what you really want to see here is a completely blank regulatory statement which means that no one has accused you of cheating and stealing Again, this helps us not one whit establish who is the best advisor. Next comes quality of practice, which refers to items such as how the advisory practice is organized, through a team or solo practitioner, whether the advisor has a designation, whether he or she deals with retail or institutional accounts. I don't know how the secret algorithm weights these qualitative factors, but I don't see how it helps determine a best advisor or not. Some clients greatly value a solo practitioner, knowing that they will be getting the personal attention of the firm's principal. A team-based practice could be advantageous in other circumstances. This data can be useful, but not for our ranking. Next comes philanthropic work. Now, I'm all for philanthropy. I'm completely sincere about this. But let's be real here. Building homes for Habitat for Humanity says nothing about whether you are a good advisor or not. Nothing. Finally, comes investment performance, probably the one item people shopping for advisors are most looking for, and comes along Barron's and says that this is not a factor in their rankings. Now, I strongly agree with Barron's here. I'm just pointing out the irony. And I love their statement that, quote, investment performance isn't an explicit component because not all advisors have audited results. Nearly none of them have audited results. But Barron's conveys the impression that they're really looking out for the consumers of this information. Actually, the firms that verify their data on advisors would never permit this kind of information if it did exist because of their fear of lawsuits. So what we have here is an amalgam of data which says very little of value. If anything, it might be fairer to call this America's wealthiest advisors. I don't see how it is fair to call them America's best advisors. We'll discuss this more in tomorrow's podcast. Thanks for listening. If you found this podcast useful, consider passing it on to one other advisor. Also, feel free to contact me at gill at seekingalpha.com if you have feedback or requests. This is Seeking Alpha's Gil Weinreich, and our podcast was sponsored by Invesco.